What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's not about the what, it's about the who in life. And I have been given the opportunity to be an important part of everybody's who. Right? Their sphere of influence. Um, you know, the people they want to help make big decisions. People they want at their wedding. Um, yeah, that's my why. I feel really wired into what is the experience that each of my players are having because I'm, I'm in their life. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. My guest today is Courtney Banghart, head women's basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. Prior to taking over the Tar Heel program in 2019, Coach Banghart served as the women's head coach at Princeton University, where she helped lead the Tigers to seven Ivy League titles and eight NCAA tournament appearances throughout her tenure. In 2015, Coach Banghart was named one of the world's 50 greatest leaders by Fortune magazine after guiding Princeton to a 30-0 regular season record. Courtney and I discuss how she best supports athletes navigating the transfer portal and NIL, the importance of operating without fear of failure, and why she believes it's crucial to provide her players with a memorable, positive experience. Man, I am absolutely fired up. She's extremely busy. She runs one of the top women's basketball programs in the country, one of the biggest brands in the world. And I'm super pumped to have her head women's basketball coach for the Tar Heels at the University of North Carolina, Courtney Banghart. Coach Court, thank you so much. I appreciate you hopping on. I'm looking forward to it. I know you're doing good work. Well, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, we're talking youth sports, athletic development. And first and foremost, Coach, real quick to get into it, like what a season last year. I mean, the expectations coming out of the gate now uh, for 2022-2023 through the roof. I mean, what do you think? Were you expecting to have such success right out of the gate? You know, you take an opportunity and you make your decision of where you're going to work. You choose variables that you think can promote your success, right? And I felt like Carolina is a place where basketball matters. Um, as you said, it's a really international brand where I would be able to have access to talent all over the world. Um, and then it was a place that's it's a community. And, and usually when you have a community, people want to be a part of that. And so, you know, it, it crossed off a lot of my boxes and I dove right in and given it my best effort for sure. Well, you're doing incredible work, Coach. And, you know, there's a topic that I would love to get into that a lot of sports parents, um, I want to say it's a hot button topic. It's it, I don't I don't know if we'd consider it that or not, but it's 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 the reclassification piece of everything. I mean, you know, it seems to me I always make the argument, coach, that I feel like the youth sports culture, what doesn't matter the sport, I feel like the whole ecosystem is kind of derived around exposure. I mean, uh, if you're a parent and your kid's a halfway decent athlete, what do parents, what do kids want to get? They want to get seen, they want to get recruited, they want to find out where they can be the best. And now you're seeing situations where, you know, I know I had to deal with it. You know, my son's a wrestler and I heard it when he was in middle school, like, hey, redshirt him. And I was like, redshirt him? He's in middle school. And people were like, no, hold him back a year. And I'm like, he's a straight A student. Like, what, what are you talking about? You know, so I didn't really understand it at the time um, to each his own, but it seems so prevalent now. What are your thoughts or, or just give us some feedback on this reclassification? At least when I say reclass, I mean, holding, literally deliberately holding your kid back 
so that they're older and I guess in essence have an advantage from an athletic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think parenting, I've got three small kids of my own as well. And as parents, we, we do the best we can. And I think there's always variables that are at play in that way. Um, so, you know, whether it's to keep them home for an extra year, there's a maturity bit. Certainly there's a sports bit. There's an academic bit. I mean, there's lots of different things that can, uh, maybe you're moving and, and you want them to um, get, get accustomed to school before they get started. You know, who knows? But um, I do think that the value of these college scholarships as the education prices have gone so high, um, you know, there's for some families, that's a variable that's too hard to ignore. You know, how can we give our kids our best chance to, to get their education paid for, given how expensive things have become? Um, and so, you know, there's, like I said, there's variables and, and parents are doing the best they can uh, that, that makes sense for their families and their young ones. So do you, as a, as a, does that something you take into consideration? Like if you're, if you're recruiting someone, you see they're 19 versus 17, you know, is it like, wow, that kid's only 17, there could be more upside? Or is it, wow, that kid's 19 and she can maybe have an immediate impact? Is there an advantage to, to being older or younger? Or, you know, can you give a little perspective on that? Yeah, you know, talent is talent, right? And so I think when you're talking about careers like in football where your your body can only take so many hits um, or whatnot, maybe the age thing is more a factor. But with the transfer portal in basketball, you know, you certainly like experience um, over sometimes youth, but you can get that through the portal more than you can over reclassification. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the portal is changing things in athletics at a, at a rapid rate, um, and it's it's kind of putting experience versus inexperience on full display. Um, but no, I, I you know, when they reclassify, they just literally move from one year of our recruiting list to the next one, and, and that's about all the, the, the thought we put into it. Wow, all right, so it's not like you're sitting there going, wow, this kid might not want to compete, you know, they're running away from someone who's in front of them. You know, there's no, like, element of overanalyzing it. Oh, not for basketball. You know, I think, again, you're talking one-year difference, and is that year at a prep school that has, you know, you came from a small community and you want a more competitive year, or did you need to get your academic work in better order, or, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, when, when we can go to the transfer portal and get a, you know, a, a grad transfer over someone who you're kind of splitting hairs, whether they're 18 or 19 when they get there, you know, it, it, it becomes a wash. So the transfer report, it's interesting you bring that up because that's such a, you know, people hear about it. We see it. You know, you have NIL, you have all these different things, all these different components. Do you feel like that transfer reporter is an asset as a coach? Do you feel like, you know, is there good and bad? Can you kind of get into how do you feel it's impacting, you know, college sports now? And how do you think yeah. you see it evolving? Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal is game-changing in every way. You know, I think it's the Darwin quote, right? It's not not she who is strongest survives and she who is most adaptable to change. And so the transfer portal is here to stay. Give your listeners a little bit of an edification on that. It's, it basically means in the past in basketball, if you wanted to transfer universities and, and programs, you had to sit a year in residence before you're able to play. And so that would, in some cases, one would argue, would deter their reason for transferring. And, and the, the numbers weren't showing that. The numbers were showing there was still an alarming rate of people that were choosing to leave their institutions. Um, and other sports had to transfer and play right away, and they weren't transferring at quite the high rate. So what's happened is, is we have almost a 1,000 every year now in the transfer portal because you no longer have to sit. You can play at your next university right away. Um, and so players have an opportunity to, to find a new fit. Um, they, they also have an opportunity to avoid the challenges of transition, which is not necessarily helping them, right? But um, coaches at the same time get to get to remedy their roster, uh, fill holes more immediately as well. Um, and so there's so many things that go into play and so many ways you can utilize the transfer portal to your advantage and how it can, it can come to your disadvantage as well. Um, that it's one of those things we're constantly adapting to. Um, and roster management is a real conversation because now your own roster can leave without any sort of penalty as well. Um, and so it's just a constant ebb and flow now and you're really taking it one year at a time and worrying less about what's, what a four-year map is like. 
So it's one of those deals where it's like, you know, you use that word avoid, um, almost like avoiding discomfort or avoid transition, I think is what you said. And when, when you think about that, you talked about finding the right fit, right? So how much of, you know, I mean, I've gone through this now and it's challenging because I went to North Carolina Wesleyan College, which is a D3 school. When I was 12 years old, I wasn't saying I wanted to go to North Carolina Wesleyan. I wanted to go to Miami. I wanted to go to North Carolina. I wanted to go to the big name schools. I wanted to play baseball for the teams I saw at the College World Series, right? Not the Division Three College World Series. Well, then fast forward five years and that's where my fit was. But my point in saying that is finding the right fit, how many kids are getting the right advice coming along the way, right? Because there's like this tug of war. If I'm a trainer, if I'm a coach, an AAU program, whatever it is, and I want you to play for me, I want to be able to pride you and your family with the best exposure opportunity. I want you to know, hey, I can find you a D1, right? Everyone wants to go D1. Well, not everyone can play D1. How do you navigate that right fit? You know, and and because let's say you go to Carolina, you want to walk on, well, it's not the right fit because you can't play there. So you just transfer down. Like how often do you see that? You know, you always want, I always say people that have enough information typically make good decisions, right? And and I think the way that recruiting, you're recruiting is, is happening so dynamically. Sometimes, yeah, kids aren't getting the right information and maybe they've got some pressure externally that are forcing them to do one or the other or maybe their own general is D1 better. Like D1's less expensive doesn't necessarily mean it's better, right? Um, and so the transfer portal is it, is, it allows for mistakes corrected it allows for people to avoid um to kind of place blame like hey i'm not right away so i'm going to go somewhere else where i think i can um you know so it's you, you see it misinformation is a part of the journey for sure you have coaches and parents and things that maybe don't understand the full scope and, and weigh in but you know that's part of the maturation process is to try to seek information and try to understand who you need to listen to and, and some don't learn that the first time but they learn it better the second time a lot of people are learning right now, myself included, the state of Pennsylvania approved an early stage law that said that high school students can now start earning money for name image likeness. I feel yeah. like all these things are intertwined and you're seeing more and more states approve that. Now, I'm sitting here going, well, pretty soon, what is it going to be? You know, is it going to be middle school kids getting paid? How do you see NIL playing into because I feel like they're all intertwined. They're all new, new things, phenomenons happening. How does, you know, name image likeness affect you know, high school and even into, you know, college? Yeah, I mean, name, image, and likeness, like you said, it's an opportunity. It's not a necessity or requirement, but it's an opportunity. And so um, for people that are able to capitalize on, want to capitalize on their likeness or, or their name or their contribution, it, what it is not is pay for play. What it is not is, um, you know, hey, if you come here, you'll get this much money from us annually. That's what it's not. However, there's, you know, it's, it's, the, the better you are, or the, the more recognizable you are, which means the more marketable you are. That's the way that the, the sports world has worked. And so it's just allowing uh, student-athletes to, to recognize that and, and to help promote, whether it's products or values-based things, that, that allow them to kind of earn money for that. Um, and so like the transfer portal, it's an adaptation that us coaches have to manage. Um, and, you know, the dynamicness of sport and also when you throw in the gender equity component of it, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really exciting time for collegiate athletics and there's a lot of turns. And so we're just, I'm, I'm, I'm diving into the dynamic space and, and do the best I can to promote and support the student athletes that we coach. So as a, as a parent yourself, do your kids all participate in athletics? You know, I've got a, I've got twin boys that are eight. So I just dropped off one of them at the baseball camp here at Carolina. 
the other one's going to um, like a tennis, uh, you know, tennis club camp right now. I've got a six-year-old girl that, that, that plays as well. Um, so they're kind of at the age where they're we're, we're giving them access to things, and, and we'll see what um, how, how it works out as they continue to progress. But they have a very athletic mother, a very athletic-driven mother, focused mother, and um, it's not my life they're living, it's theirs. So I'm, I'm looking forward to supporting them in whatever journey they, that, that seems to stick for them. I love it. So yeah, you're going to the Carolina baseball camp. I love that because I know a lot of those coaches. So that's a great camp, by the way. So are you a big advocate or do you want your kids to be able to sample a variety of sports? Is that part Is that part of your plan? Like I want you to be exposed to as much as you want, figure it out. Do you think there's an advantage or disadvantage to like single sports specialization, which is also another thing that people think that that's the way to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely not a fan of sports specialization, especially at a young age. I mean, I won fall state championships in high school and I played soccer, basketball, and tennis and the skill sets I learned and whether it's footwork or spacing or across all sports, the best players I coached, Blake Dietrich, who played for over five years in the WNBA, coached her at Princeton. She played two sports in college, division one, lacrosse and basketball. Um, and so I think sports specialization is um, in some way actually diminishes your IQ at various valuable things, angles and whatnot. Um, but again, I think it's like parenting, right? It's like you just, you kind of have to do the best you can. And so in some cases, the specialization is, is what works for that family and for that child. And, and it's really, it's not for me to, to, to make any suggestions on that. Um, but in terms of my children, you know, they're, they're going to do everything from swimming to water skiing to, uh, to baseball to, you know, to reading to coding to, you know, all different things because they have the, they're really fortunate. They have, they have an opportunity to, to be presented to lots of different things. And so lucky that and that's what we can provide for them. So we're going to do that. When we return, Coach Banghart and I discuss how she manages her competitiveness differently as a coach than as a player. Welcome back. Where we left off, Coach Banghart and I were about to talk about the importance of managing competitiveness and finding ways to separate yourself from your peers. Hold on a second, Coach. I'm going to just double back here. Did you say you won 12 state championships in high school? I did. I'm from a small state, though. I'm from New Hampshire. Yeah, I won four in soccer. I won um, uh, three in basketball, and I won five in tennis because I played uh, both singles and doubles. Oh, my God. I don't care how small your state is. That's absurd to win 12 state titles. I mean, obviously, you know, the competitive piece is something that's got to be, like, I can hear the intensity in your voice. Is it all about competition? I mean, is that... I mean, in order to be able to be successful, I don't care what sport it is, what level it is, but the longevity and the consistency, right? Like Dabo Sweeney said to me, Coach Sweeney from Clemson, he likes to study the ones who have been doing it the longest, the most success. And I feel like that's where you find out there's this element of competition, competitiveness that kind of drives and gets involved. Where does that come from within you? Is that intrinsic? Is it something you developed? No, I have been a, um, you know, my first word was ball. It wasn't mom. It wasn't dad. I mean, I have been gravitated to athletics since I was a very little kid. And um, everyone kind of has what they, they're a little special. It's what I love with my three kids. They're all very different and they're close in age. And they each kind of have their own special light. And, and for me, athletics has always been the thing that I've been most interested in and best at. And that's been pretty broad. Um, my competitiveness comes in incredibly naturally, and that's both good and bad. I mean, I'm not one who can just enjoy a card game. I'm a little bit like you saw with MJ in the last dance. Like, even on a way to games, he's competing. Um, that's just home wired. Um, and luckily for me, sports have been, you know, I'm post-Title IX, so sports have been a way for me to both satiate and, and to demonstrate my both athleticism and my competitiveness. So how do you harness that? Because, I mean, 
I, listen, I'm a type A. I love competing. I love getting after it. But also at the same time, there is an element of like, and I don't think I've ever asked this question, but I feel like, do you ever feel like I got to pull this back a little bit? Like, especially as a parent, how do you know when it's time to stay in the fight? And sometimes it's time to, hey, we need to stop and reevaluate. Like, do you ever have to check yourself and your competitiveness? Like, maybe it's time to pump the brakes here and reevaluate? You know, my coaching, uh, it's not about me anymore, right? So I'm, I, I demonstrate my competitiveness in a much different way as a, as a coach than I did as a player, right? For me, how I compete every day now is how can I ensure that I, I have the wherewithal, the energy, and the vision to provide the very best opportunities for our players to have the most memorable and successful experience. So I'm, I'm totally wired into that, right? And that shows itself in much more of a caretaking and much more of a mentorship, much more of a of a um, inspirational way than it does when I was competing as a player, right? And then as a parent, I'm just soft. Like, I'm not at all competitive. I I don't... (laughs) Yeah, I think living in a competitive world, I just, I I don't, you know, the world's going to judge you everywhere you go. I just want my kids to be, to to have um, just a a wonderful upbringing. I want them to, I want them to experience challenges. I want them to make friends. I want them to, to feel successful. I want them to, you know, so I... You know, I could care less if, you know, I, I'm not worried about missing their soccer games because I'm working. Like, it's just, it's just, we're kind of sharing a life. And sometimes that means I have to adjust, sometimes they do. But yeah, I'm not competitive at all as a parent at all. Like, my kids are just who they are, and I'm happy to be a part of their life. What is your why for coaching? And, and also, do you have to ever revisit that? Fortunately, I think it's really been ingrained in me. It allows me to um, really do this profession, honestly. And that is, my why is... I have really been lucky that the profession I have chosen means that as people navigate their own life, both at, at, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and when they're ultimately on their deathbed, right? It's the who. We all understand that, right? It's not about the what, it's about the who in life. And I have been given the opportunity to be an important part of everybody's who, right? Their sphere of influence. Um, you know, the people they want to help make big decisions, people they want at their wedding. I mean, I'm literally staring at six wedding invites. On my to-do list today is RSVP to these wedding invites from foreign players, right? Um, and so... I don't have to revisit that because it is, it's just so a part of who I am. Like my competitive journey as a player is so over. I'm, I'm, I now exercise for fun and for health, but not at all for competitive nature. So, um, yeah, that's my why. I feel really wired into what is the experience that each of my players are having because I'm, I'm in their life. Um, and that's exhausting because people are exhausting and people let you down, um, at times. And, and you have to kind of, I have to manage that, right? Manage disappointment and, and all that regularly, but that makes me better as well. I asked Coach Fox, you know, first time I interviewed Coach Mike Mike Fox, right? He retired, and, you know, for those who don't know, but I mentioned him a lot. So, you know, former head baseball coach, University of North Carolina. At the time of his retirement, he was the winningest active coach in NCAA, you know, men's college baseball history. And at one point I said to him, Coach, because yeah, one of his assistants, Charlie Long, um, told me, you know, in a discussion when Coach Fox was about to break that record, he told me, Coach Long did that. Coach Fox really had no idea that he even had that many wins at the time. You know, whether he did or didn't, that's what he said, right? And I believe him. And I asked him, I said, coach, like, is that not a main driver? Is that not something, especially at your level? I mean, coaches get fired all the time. I mean, performance, it's a performance-based business. But he said, it's really not. He said, it's a part of it, but you can't focus on it, you know? So otherwise you miss all of the other important things. So I guess what I want to ask you, coaches, how important are the W's, right? Because success matters. But how do you navigate that so that your why is those relationships is it like take care of the top line and the bottom line will follow me in the w's like how do you juggle that yeah well i think when you think about coaching no one operates well when they're in fear nobody in any in any sphere of life right so for me it's like 
you can't be afraid of, of losing or afraid of getting fired, right? As I always say, when you sign a contract, the termination is on there, just the date wasn't included, right? And, and that allows you to coach with freedom. Like, I'm not going to worry about whether or not I ultimately am the right fit at Carolina over the next 30 years. It doesn't it doesn't even bother me. It's like, if it's not the right fit, we'll both feel it. Right. And so, um, first you just take that off the table. Like, don't worry about it. Sort of like when I took this job, some of my peers were saying, gosh, you have job security for life and you're probably going to basketball hall of fame if you stay at Princeton. And I said, well, that might be the right decision for you. For me, it's the opportunity that I'm seeking. Right. And, and I'm not worried about failure. I'm worried about missing opportunity. Right. And I hope that's how my players would say that's how I coach them. If we're not going to worry about can we win a national championship here, we're going to try to do it. Right. And, and those are, you know, we're not, our, our value is judged upon, we lost seven games in a row last year in, in January. And I had a very good friend who said to one of my other, someone on my staff, what's Courtney like? And he said, she's the same every day. It's like, it's just, because for me, that's where we were as a program. We, were, we weren't good enough to string together wins yet. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not a good mom or a good person or a good coach, right? Um, and so this past year, we had a great success. We were a really good team. We should have success, right? Um, so yeah, I just, I take kind of the, the, the fear that everybody has or understands about coaching is the number of transitions you are forced to make with recognizing that the people I get to coach every day, I get to choose them and I get to lead them when you're coaching at this level. And so I'm thoughtful about the decisions of who I choose and then I'm very intentional with how I lead. And, and honestly, the rest will take care of itself. I always like to try to end with this. You know, we'll have a lot of parents, a lot of kids. You know, people will listen to this and say, oh my God, I want to play for Coach Banger. Oh my God, I want my child to play for Coach Banger. What do these kids got to do? And not everyone can play for Coach Bangart. Not everyone can play in the ACC, right? Not everyone play D1. What can these kids do to get on radars? You know, how can they put themselves in a position, you know, they're, they're, they're on the AAU circuit. They're trying to get looks. Like, what's the best way to get the eyes and attention of Courtney Bangart and your staff or anyone in the country? You know, I think it's just, you don't, you can't always, like, I didn't take the, there were so many jobs I didn't take when I got offered jobs. Um, because ultimately I was hoping it might help me get the Carolina job. I was like, if I can't get the Carolina job from Princeton, it's not, then I'm not leaving. Right. Just cause you just never know what the steps might of your life might take. Um, and so I would say that I would carry that over to the, to the message of, of what these young people are doing now. There's a separator, right? What is that separator? Right. So when I'm recruiting 2025s right now, I've called coaches about the kids who I think these all kids have a chance. Right now, it's going to be an important year of separation for them, right? And then I always say to the student athletes, like, what are you going to do to separate yourself? It's the same thing we do as coaches. What's going to separate me from the other coaches in our league, right? And so people have to find what's going to separate them from their peers, which typically 99.99,000% is the work you put in when no one's watching. And then once you take care of that controllable, where you belong will find you. It really will. Um, and if that's Carolina, lucky us, lucky you. If it's not, lucky that school and lucky you. Um, and so, yeah, I just think we in life, whether you're 15 or 25 or 45, like what is what is the separator that, that, that you can do to give yourself the best chance for success? Find it, do it, live it, that kind of thing. Courtney Banghart, you got me fired up. I absolutely love your energy. I love your passion, love your enthusiasm, love following your program and what y'all are doing. Can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing. I'm truly honored and a pleasure to uh, to spend this time with you, Coach. Well, I appreciate it. And I have to say, the separator for you is your persistence. And honestly, I never give you a, the hats off that I can tell why you've had such success. It's like, you just don't take no, just just keep rolling. And um, I'm glad I was able to find the time and I'm glad we were able to do that. So thanks. Well, I appreciate that. I'd like to tell you it's the first time I've heard that, but it's it's not. So thank you. I, it means a lot. And I appreciate you very, very much, Coach. Thank you. All right. Best of luck to you. That's Courtney Banghart, head women's basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. 
Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.